From Edge Radio 99.3 FM, this is an edit of The Dice Men Cometh, the podcast. The Dice Men Cometh! Well, Garth. Hello. You wouldn't believe that I was just all ready to give this introduction about, I can't believe it, two weeks in a row, all three Dice Men are here in the Edge Radio studios on a Thursday evening just after 7pm to talk about board games, card games, role-playing games, all sorts of games you might do on or around the table. Mm, Or a tabletop, in fact. Yes. If you have one of those to go on your regular everyday table. So I was going to talk about how fantastic it was to have the three of us back in here. You should do that. Except, Garth. Mm Mm-hmm. There's you. There is. There's I. There is. Oh, oh There's yeah. an empty seat there. Because oh. the Leon, the poor fellow, the poor young fellow, he's not feeling well. No, is it man flu or is he just, uh, I don't know. What is it? Leon? I'm, Leon, I'm, what is it? I'm oh. not, I'm not going to criticise him. You know, he's a young man. He's got a lot on his plate with being a young man and he's got cats to look after. Everything and, that goes along with yeah. being a young man and wearing black. And... <laughs> And He's so, probably doing his loads of washing that you know you can't mix black and colours, so it takes a bit of extra time. Uh, uh, actually, I hadn't even thought about that. That's yeah. a good point. But anyway, we we send our love to Leon. He's at home, not well. We're going to struggle on here without him to talk about games, as we said, because that's what we do here on a Thursday night mm. in the Edge Radio Studios. We're going to talk about one of. We were having a discussion in the car. Is it the hotness out of Essen? Maybe not, but it's certainly one of them. It's certainly up there, isn't it? Um, and that is Maracaibo. We're going to tell you all about that. Yes. And then, just because we're all about Essen, and in particular, we're all about Essen Unplugged. Oh, you mean that event that LFG are running in Canberra at the East Lake Football Club from November something... 20, 22nd to the 24th. Oh, that one. That we're going to... We're going to. In just over a week's time. I know. That one. We're going to talk about some of the games that we expect to see there and play there that are the other hotnesses mm. that have coming out that have come out from Essen and that Charles and the LFG uh, mules have brought back to Canberra for Essen Unplugged. We're going to talk about those games. I reckon that's probably going to be about a show? Absolutely, because Maracaibo is not the world's smallest game nor the quickest, and there is a lot that you and I want to be playing at Essen Unplugged. So thankfully, Charles, I think, just chartered like a, I don't know, a whole boat and just brought everything back that was possibly available from Essen. So we have a lot of work to do. I thought he might have got one of those second-hand Antonov aircraft, you know, the massive big ex-Soviet military planes that they carry like space shuttles on and things like that. I thought he might have got one of those. Well, he's a, pick very, up he's a very entrepreneurial gentleman, so I wouldn't be surprised. But anyway, you with the Dice Men Cometh. It's Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Here's a song, and then we'll come back. Hi, guys. It's Sarah from Melbourne. It was a pleasure to beat you at BorderCon this year. Looking forward to doing it again next year. Well, there you go. That was the delightful London grammar. Hey, now, here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM, you are listening to The Dice Men Cometh. We're struggling with the technology here, mainly it's a mouse with a ball in it. Garth, you haven't seen one of those for a few years? Uh, No, (laughs) a mouse with a ball. Oh, my God. I think we all remember, though, having to remove the ball and... Clean it out with, like... 
like a cotton bud or yeah, yeah, a, and your and, nail or and something. alcohol or something. So there's a, a little bit of a behind the scenes <laughs> look at the technology the Dice Men Cometh and Edge Radio Studio are dealing with here. And look, let us mention again, we are brought to you by our new sponsors. We're so excited they've come on board. That's LFG. And in particular, their Essen Unplugged event. As we mentioned, you can still get tickets for, I believe, but they're selling fast. Yeah, there's not many left. Um, for next weekend, by the time you're listening to this, 22nd to the 24th mm-hmm. of November in Canberra at the East Lakes Football Club. East Lake Football Club, yes. We will be there. Both of us. Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. We landed about 1.30 Friday afternoon and are getting expertly picked up at the airport. Oh, by our good friend Renee. straight to the... the uh, the convention, the convention where uh, we will go straight down to tables and play the games. We will resurface on Sunday night to fly home, we- having created a lot of good content. Oh yeah, and look, we've got so many games lined up to play. We're going to talk about them later, but mm. we did, didn't have to wait to play this one because Charles from LFG, yes, is so on the ball that he took this one out of the back of the Antonov and assigned it to a carrier pigeon or something and got it down here to Hobart quick smart for us to try it even before Essen Unplugged. Absolutely. And this is not a nothing game. This is Maracaibo, as you said, Mark. This is a game by Alexander Pfister. Mm. Now, he's got to be up there in the, the pantheon of game designers, especially of recent years. Going backwards, his, his most recent game was Blackout Hong Kong, which, look... We yeah. haven't played. Mixed reviews, you got to say. It was mixed reviews and the quality of it. I, I looked at it and almost played it at last year's Essen Unplugged in yes. Canberra. Sat down, had five people, were about to play it and went, oh, I don't quite know what we're doing. Yeah. And it was not the game for, for us and it just, just doesn't look that great, to be perfectly honest. Okay. Year bef- not before, year before that, a couple of years before that, we had Great Western Trail, which, which you know, if you like cows yeah. and trains, <laughs> yee-haw, get on those tracks well, it because was, it has cows and trains. I was going to say, I think I may have called it my game of BorderCon. Okay. That year, which would have been BorderCon 2017, I think, if it yep. came out in 2016. Um, I really enjoyed it, and it's probably going to come up in this conversation a little bit later okay. on. I wouldn't be surprised. You've then got Isle of Skye, mm. which, again, we would have played at, at BorderCon a couple of years ago, Broom Service, um, which is just a little bit popular. But it was a um, Spiel des Jahres winner. Yep. Uh, you got Mombasa, and then we go back and back and back. So, look, he is a designer who has done a truckload of games, most of which have been pretty well regarded. So there's a lot of pedigree here. And as you say, Mark, Maracaibo is probably one of the hottest games to have come out of Essen this year. And if you like being in the Caribbean in the 17th century, oh my, is this potentially the Euro for you? Because this is a pirate game, but it's not really. No. No, not be, yar. Um, however, you are seafarers or adventurers, depending on the kind of style of gameplay you choose to have, and you spend your days trying to increase your own standing amongst the countries that kind of control the Caribbean. So you've got the French, you've got the Spanish, and you've got the English. If you can get all those influences right, you can essentially be pretty well 
on your way to taking over the Caribbean, there's lots of different strategies you can take to do that. You have mm. different paths you can take, different focuses you can have. You could potentially take the pirate life for me and go and fight a lot and that'll get you stuff. You could go on raids, for example. You could go up and have a large crew and get them to do all the work for you. You might want to go on a quest. You might want to explore the land, for example. But the thing is you're not going to be able to do all of those things, so you might want to specialise because this game is played out in only four rounds. Only four? Yeah, only four rounds, you say. It must those, be super quick, Garth. You would think that because the playtime starts at only 60 minutes on the mm. box. The other number's the more concerning one, which is the 150 minutes. And we played four players a couple of nights ago, Mark. There was the two of us. There was Leon and, and good friend of ours, Bo. And it was certainly in the 150-minute mark but that was also playing the always present dice man tax and the fact that all four of us were learning the game. Yes, that's right. Now, we're not going to get into all the minutiae of how to play this game, but I guess... Because there's a lot. There is a lot going on. The main thing is, though, that each player's got their own little player board. Their player board is essentially their ship, and you will, over the course of the game, be able to upgrade that ship by doing certain things. So it means that you'll have more opportunity for different actions. The actions that you can take would maybe become stronger. Mm -hmm. Certain uh, overall benefits, like having a hand limit increase, will, will turn up. Or downright flat victory points. Now, Garth, yeah. can I point out something at this stage? This is a game set in the Caribbean. Yar. Now... There's a lot of things that are associated with the Caribbean. Yes. Like rum. Correct. Maybe tropical fruits. Oh, yes. Holidays. Mm -hmm. Sun. Yep. Cruise ships. Cruise ships. Mm -hmm. And those funny talking people. Yep. Who talk like that. The friends of Johnny Depp and something. But interestingly in this game... And I haven't read the rule book cover to cover, but from what I've saw, from what I've seen online, there's the the P word isn't mentioned. There's another P word used in its stead. Oh, really? Which is privateers. Mm. So I f and I feel like that's trying to get across that this is not a game about pirates. Correct. This is a game about where you're trying to curry favour, if you like, with one of three nations who are all establishing presences in the Caribbean. Correct. That is England, mm -hmm. Spain, or the Spain with the blue flag that I... Because I kept getting the French confused you did, with you the Spanish. You did Spanish and your French quite I don't a lot. know why. But, yeah, so you're trying to curry favour with those three nations. You do that by doing lots of different things, and I'm sure you're going to talk about some of them now. Yeah. But even in terms of piracy, like... How I think how you curry favour with the English, for example, is you go and attack those nations that aren't English and vice versa. And so you never attack each other, firstly, which would be a very piratey thing to do. You mean the player, the other players? Yeah, yeah, correct. so the, the players don't attack each other. Mm -hmm. You don't... I think you don't attack the towns as such, although you may, in a very abstracted way. But and I guess the point I'm trying to make is this is not a pirate game. It is absolutely not a pirate game. There's nothing piratey about this game. No. If you want that game, buy Merchants and Marauders mm. and have a piratey old time. Now, just as you got to that, um, 
uh, at the very, very back of the rule book. Page. Page 23 That's in the bottom, hefty rule book. bottom right-hand corner. <laughs> yes. There's a little comment from the, the publisher and the author that yep. says, we would like to remind all players here that the power-consolidating efforts and greed of the European powers resulted in terrible costs to the people of the Caribbean during mm -hmm. the period that this game is set in. Unfortunately, mistreating Indigenous peoples, the slave trade and other horrors were the order of the day. Yep. In this game, we are entering this world in an abstract way, using only certain aspects of history and therefore end up with a romanticised and narrow view. Everyone should remember that life for most people was anything but glorious back then, Rather, it was often rife with oppression and equality. Yeah. So it's good but that not it, pirates. But not pirates. No, because I guess, again, for the vast bulk of, bulk of people living there, pirates weren't seen. Yeah. But anyway, we're not here to make political commentary because... No. Although I think, you know, if you think about it, pirates probably played a big part in boosting local economies because where did they spend all their booty but in the local towns. I guess so. So maybe they were good for the... Pirates might have been good for the local economy, whereas these three nations you're trying to carry favour with, they're the bad guys in this. Correct. Anyway. Back to the game. Back to the game. You're on your player board <laughs> where you'll be able to upgrade your ship. Now, this may be the very first comparison with Great Western Trail mm. because Great Western Trail has that very same mechanic where you start with a board and it becomes increasingly more powerful as you get further and further in the game and this is exactly that same mechanic. Mm -hmm. So anyone who's played Great Western Trail will be immediately similar, uh, sort of feel a little bit at home with, yeah. with this one. The other board is obviously the main board. Now the main board itself, oh, she's got lots of things going on. She has the very often external rim, which is the victory point track. Yes. Then you've got an income track that goes from top to bottom of one of the edges. Then you've got a victory point track, which is sort of victory point income that you'll earn during interim scoring between all of the, the four rounds. Yeah, because you've got, you've got victory point income and you've got income. Income, income. Correct. You've then also got... Uh, all the combat tiles that are there because you'll be flipping those and that will see sort of be where you uh, initiate combat. You've got three massive influence tracks and you've got the influence for the Spanish, the French and the English and mm -hmm. that takes up about a quarter of the board. You've then got a space for story cards because this game can be played either as a standalone up to four player solo version of a one-off pirate game. Mm -hmm. It's not pirates. Or there is a story mode and in fact, a legacy mode that comes with this. The, there is a big, big deck of story cards and there are some blue tiles, legacy tiles, which over the course of games will become revealed and will appear on the board. And we can't talk about that no, aspect. No, we won't. But only because we haven't played with that mm -hmm. version. We have played the standalone single game version. Full stop. The rest of the board is primarily made up of the very well-known Caribbean map and anyone who has played Merchants and Marauders or Sid Meier's Pirates or any other games yep. that feature the Caribbean. Looks very familiar. You know what it is. Uh, and the bottom half of it is the expedition track where your meeples will start at point zero and they will eventually crawl their way along gathering rewards as you play the game and as you have the ability to do the expedition action that'll finish up hopefully getting you points and dollars and all that stuff as the game progresses. Yeah. But I guess the main thing that you're going to be doing on this game is going around the Caribbean. And the way the round ends is as soon as the first person has done one loop around the Caribbean, that signifies the end of that particular round. 
You'll do that four times and that signifies the end of the game and it is a Rondell style. You start in position one. You have to go around and around and around into position 20-odd. Yep. But you can move your ship anywhere from one to seven spots on your turn. And that means that there can be players who will go one space, one space, one space. Yes. Or a player who goes, I need that one that's seven away. And then the next turn, I need that one that's seven away. And go around the board in, from start to finish, probably half a dozen turns at most. I guess also, when you look at that scalable player time, it can make a huge difference. If you're two or three, or even one, because there is a solo mode, but, you know, (laughs) if your people focused on getting squeezing the juice and the essence and the marrow out of the Caribbean, getting every last drop, Yep, your rounds can take a long time. But if one person, Leon, if one person decides, hey, I know how to speed this game up, I'm going to move seven just about every time and I can get round in like three turns, Yeah, that can really vary your experience of the game. Absolutely, it can. And, and it another, is a, it's a very legitimate strategy oh, to do as well. Absolutely. And as we saw, you know, with our with our good friend Bo, who stra- started to take off, we then thought, oh, he's going to just move around really quickly and finish the game off. But good old Bo, he was thinking, no, I've got more to get out of here. I can go even further. Exactly. Um, but I wanted to say this is yet another comparison with Great Western Trail because, as we know, in Great Western Trail, there are varying ways you can move over that trail going from spot one to get to... I can't remember the name of the town now, but where you sell your cows and put them on the train. And when you start, there's not many places to stop, so you do tend to move more quickly. And then as you go, you are putting pieces down on the board which give you more interesting places to stop. That's right. So that's the thing is that... that Unlike Great Western Trail, where you start off with very linear ways that you can go and only very limited spaces you can stop at, the whole the whole board is essentially open to you from the, the very first turn in Maracaibo. But the difference is, at the start of every round, you will reveal some quests. And mm. quests will be placed out on the board, and, and that will alter the, um, the reasons that you want to go to various villages and cities. At the very start of the game, you'll also randomise the city tiles so that the cities that you visit offer different benefits depending on what you do when you when you get there. So let's just go through very quickly how you play this game. The first thing you will do is you will move your pirate ship one to seven spaces, as I say. You go and stop at the place that you want to go. There are two location types, cities, which are big circles, and villages, which are little circles. Villages, if you go there, you can do a couple of different things. Mm-hmm. You can buy a card. And buying a card is kind of equivalent to getting cows, but not really in Great Western Trail. You're essentially buying people for crew in your ship. Now, you can only buy cards that are either in your hand, and you start with a hand limit of four, mm-hmm. or that you've put into sort of your planning area. Yes. Um, so you buy them and they'll offer you bonuses for the rest of the game. And this, to me, is... Uh, maybe the difference or one of the big differences with Great Western Trails is the cards in this case, you're really building an engine. Correct. Where you're adding parts as you go, whereas in Great Western Trail, obviously, you're building a deck, but you still got to cycle through that deck a number of times. These cards, you buy them, they're there, and then whether they they might give you an endgame ability or a a one-off ability or an ability that's going to trigger a few times if it's someone you go and visit, that... 
there is a strong engine building element to this game. There sure is, but they will also definitely add to your income stream. Mm. They will always either boost up your... Not always, sorry, but they will, they will typically Often, boost yes. up either your income points every time you get income or every time you are scoring victory points before the yeah. end of the game. So you can do that. Or you can... Excuse me. Um, you can do a couple of other things in, in villages. You can you know, get rid of cards. You can get a dollar. So it's kind of like these little actions where they start off pretty simple and, and for the the vast bulk of the time, you'll probably want to just use it to buy a card yep. until you have potentially got a, an assistant there. So thematically, one of your crew has got off and they're now working for you on this particular village. And that means when you go to that spot, instead of just doing your bog standard village action, you can then do whatever action is associated with the person that you've left there, which yeah. would be re represented by a card. So that's the villages, and the, then the, you can move on to the bigger locations, which are cities. And what you can do there is really dependent on the city tile itself, which is, as I say, randomised at the start of the game. And it seems like there's a lot of variab variability in there, those. There is. There's always going to be one or two of the, that are the same, but there's a huge number of different ones depending on player count. Um, so that's, that's where there's a huge amount of replayability there. You will go to a city, and the first thing you can always do is trade. Trade is going to be, if you've got a card in your hand that matches the good that that particular city wants, mm -hmm. you discard that card and then you will cover up one of that particular icon on the city tile using one of your filled up spots on your ship. Yep. And that's how you're going to basically upgrade your ship during the course of the game. Problem is, every one of the upgrades on your ship takes two actions. Yep. So you've got to go to two different cities and trade. So you start with 24 little cubes on your player board. Now, these player boards are not recessed. And by cubes, we mean discs. We do mean discs. Yes. And they are little. They're really little. Yeah, they're smaller than the, the Puerto Rico, we call them settlers, workers. Yeah, they're tiny. They're, yeah. they're about the... They're almost like a... I don't know, almost a little bit bigger than a tic-tac. Yes. They're really quite small. And fiddly. Fiddly. And you've got to stack one on top of each other and you've got 12 spots on your player board that you've got to do that. So you've got to be, at the start of a game, there's going to be the better part of four times 24 on the table and if someone gets up the wrong way from yep. the table or in a fit of frustration goes, No! They're all, all moving. Yeah. And that is really not that fun. Well, but it is I think, it is. I think we'll come back and talk about that a little bit more. Okay. Cities, yeah. you trade. Then each city will have an ability to do, and it might be you can have a combat or it might be that you can go down the expedition track mm -hmm. a little bit more or it might be something else. You can sharpen your sword. Correct. When, for when you need to use it. Absolutely. You'll do that thing and then that is really the end of your turn. You have the opportunity to place another one of the cards in your hand from into your sort of preparation area at the top of your board. Yeah. Uh, you draw up to your hand limit and that's your turn done. Mm. And you'll just do that around and around and around and around and around until someone ends the round by finishing up their first loop around the Caribbean. Yep. And it's really that simple from a mechanical point of view, except that every kind of thing you do, and particularly the combat, is just a little bit fiddly. Now, Garth, yeah. I want you to hold that thought. Okay. Because we've been talking for a little while about this game... And I'm not done talking about it. <laughs> but what I'd like to do is I'd like to give everyone a chance to go to the toilet if they want, mm -hmm. refresh their drink if they want, relax on the couch, think about how much their partner loves them and how when they fought with them tonight they didn't really mean it, 
or anything else you want to think about, play a song. Let's come back and talk a bit more about Maracaibo right after this. I'm Matthew Lee from The Campaigner, and I listen to the world's best podcast. And I also listen to The Dice Man Cometh. There you have it. Life instructions from the flight of the Concorde. Pencils in the wind here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Proudly brought to you by us and by our sponsors, LFG. They are looking for gamers. We'll be looking for you gamers at Essen Unplugged, the event at the East Lakes Football Club, 22nd to the 24th of this month in Canberra. But they also have the LFG Sydney event, which happens next year. You've got plenty of warning. It is a huge event and... Oh, it's going to be so massive. Three years ago, Trent went. He was the first. Two years ago, or last year, I went. This year, earlier, Leon went. Next year, Garth, it would sound like it's your turn. You'd think so. But. Mm-hmm. I'm not going. You are. Oh, I am. Woo-hoo. You are, but you're going to have company uh. in that Leon and I are also going. All three dice men. Oh, good. So if you live north of. Albury, and you haven't had your chance to meet the Dice Men, then LFG, and you're not going to Essen Unplugged in Canberra next weekend, LFG Sydney next year is going to be it. And Garth, you know what I'm doing? Uh, playing board games? No, I'm going to put in a special order mm. with Chessex, oh, the okay. custom dice people. Yeah, cool for some magical, wonderful Dice Men dice. And I'm going to have so many of them to give away at LFG Sydney next year. Lovely. That sounds sexy. Yeah. Now. What is also sexy yeah. is the Maracaibo, is potentially. Pirates, yeah. Yeah, and their pantaloons. So, look, there is a lot more going on in this game. The main action that will mainly score you the main volume of points mainly potentially is influencing the three nations, the Spanish, the English and the French. And... Doing certain things, primarily gaining influence or annex or annexing or displacing in uh, various cities and villages is how you're going to earn influence them, mm. which means you go up the track, which means you'll score more points. The further up the track you go, the more points you're going to get. Very, very simple. Yep. Um, you'll get multipliers on the points depending on how far up you go. And depending on essentially how strong each of the the three nations is in terms of their influence, and that will certainly fluctuate. They could be as little as having one lot of influence, meaning that regardless of how far up the track you go, you're only going to get one point times a multiplier. Or all the way up to really lots of points. So Bo, for example, got up to... You know, the final track. And, 18 or something, I think, yeah, isn't it? The furthest way. And got got a crazy amount 12? of points because it was, I think, yeah, 12, 12 times, times 6, six or points something, or something. Yeah. So a huge amount. You're going to do that, and that's where you'll be doing actions, combat, which you're kind of just using combat points in a very Euro way. Yes. You're using combat yes. points to then spend them to do actions which do not feel like combat at all. And that is why this is a very much medium getting onto the heavier side of Euro. But it's actually not that complicated to play. It's just time-consuming and has very, very varied ways where you can multiply your victory points. And yeah. that's where you're going to win this game it, is by getting these, right. these synergies of cards, but whether it be 
crew, um, whether it be having the right goods and visiting the right locations at the right times, but mainly being able to get those influence tracks really high up. Yeah, because we talked about building an engine, but the building an engine really... For most of those cards, you're only really, really building an engine to gain you victory points on the income victory point track and on the income income track, maybe making your ability to explore a little bit stronger in that, when I say stronger, you might be able to move a couple more spaces on the exploration questing type track. But it, as we said, with this game, it's got lots of moving parts. It's not that any one part is complicated. The puzzle is how do you get all those moving parts to fit together in a strategy that will give you the most victory points? And I, when I looked at what our friend Bo did, again, he had lots of cards. He, he did. did a bit of exploring. He did a. He actually did quite a bit of fighting. He did a, a quite um, a bit of fighting. So he sort of managed to do a lot of everything, which I know I struggled to do all the things. Maybe he's just more clever than we are. I don't know. Well, there is certainly that we don't like to admit it. So I guess, you know, we've talked about it enough. What do you think? Like, let's let's go to, you know, we've played quite yeah. a few of, of Mr. Fister's games. Yeah. Some of them we haven't, most notably Black, Blackout Hong Kong. Look, firstly, to look at, it looks okay. I think it looks really pretty. I, like, I think the main board looks really nice. Um, yeah, but then when you look, I have been so spoiled... As we, as you have, I'm sure, but you know, we've been playing some of these games, the Vital Lacerda games, where the board's done by Ian O'Toole, and where the board itself almost teaches you and reminds you how to play the game. Yeah. Or even something we played just last week, Predator by Ignazi Trezacek, where the board is laid out and and the iconography speaks to you in a way of how you do things and what things mean. Whereas Correct. this, to me, it's almost like. Alexander Fister got Great Western Trail, got in a time machine <laughs> to go back 10 years, got out at, maybe got out at Essenspiel 2010, looked around and said, hey, these games look pretty cool. I'm going to modify this futuristic game because it's a bit too futuristic to look like these games from 2010 and earlier because it really, the whole styling of it harkens back to... Even we mentioned Puerto Rico, but, you know, the discs stacked on top of each other and yeah. things like that. Whereas in this day and age, I mean, recessed player boards. I know it's an extra cost, but those little discs are so fiddly. They are. And how many times I had to replace them back on my little spots, I lost count of. Yeah, you're 100% right. And even just the, the board. The board looked to me... It's pretty in terms of colours and things, but it's cluttered that exploration track along the bottom. It's like they, the board was going to be 150% as long as it was, and then at the last minute they said, oh, we need it to be this long to fit in the box, and they went, that's okay, just get that graphic, shrink it down 50%, and we can still fit it all in. It was those numbers and coins and things are so <laughs> squashed together... And there's little arrows saying, well, you can go this way, but you can go this way. And it's, it's I found it really confusing to look at. Well, I only sort of paid some attention when I was packing this up to, you know, put back on the shelf. And I did this, you know, last, last night, I think it was, because mm -hmm. I didn't feel like doing it at, at midnight when we finished playing. So every player has 24 of these little tokens on your ship. Yep. 
you've got one influence marker, you've got three cubes that you have to put out in various tracks. Mm -hmm. You've then got nine meeples, one of which is a bigger, thicker meeple because that's your expedition leader. So you've noticed that. Yeah, so you've got quite a substantial bag for every player that's made up of approaching 40 pieces maybe. You've then got... Oh, those influence cubes. Influence cubes, which each of the nations. Now, there are... 39 of those. And you've got to take two, again, it's like the two discs. You've got to take off two cubes to get that to get that one spot. Now, I get that is to stop the score track from going ahead maybe too fast, but you could easily do that where you have one cube and then the point is just on every second line. Or There's so many different ways to do it, to streamline it. Yeah, so I guess my point is it is very fiddly to set up. Yeah. And when every player board which is not big, has 24-plus pieces on it Mm. at the start. That does become certainly a bit fiddly. Now, the good thing is everything kind of makes sense once you get your head around probably four or five main pieces of iconography, and that's good. We were all able to understand it pretty well, although Bo had trouble being able to count to four <laughs> because he was he was unlocking parts that you could only unlock after you'd already unlocked four other ship upgrades that was expertly explained, I must say. He just clearly wasn't listening. And then you you didn't manage to work out what synergy tokens were. No, I did. I just couldn't get the right ones <laughs> in my cards. But we're not even going to bother talking yeah, about those because yeah. all they are is multipliers mm-hmm. again. So, look, I mean, I enjoyed this game and I really feel that if the four of us went down and played it again tomorrow or the next day or within the next week or whatever, yep. the game would be a very different experience. Mm-hmm. We would all go in there with that bit of extra knowledge. It would certainly go a lot quicker. And I think I think we would all do better. Yeah. You and I certainly didn't excel, but I do <laughs> say I excelled more than you, you and did. you found yourself in the very unusual I was, position. I was of the fourth the most excel, excel, excelling person. Which, yes. look, I must say, it's a lovely position to see you in, Mark, because it doesn't happen <laughs> except in Maracaibo and the estates. Yes. <laughs> which I, I really hope we get to talk about yeah, at some I'm point. Yeah, sure we'll talk about it one day um, in the far future. So, look. I would I would certainly recommend this game to someone who is a fan of the Fister genre. Yep. I would certainly happily play it again if I had the time and if I was playing with people who knew how to play. Mm-hmm. Because each individual turn that you as a player take is pretty quick. The decision making and the and the AP level is where do I move? That one to seven movement that I've got gives you so many potential options. And then when you can potentially go and trade and unlock another ability yep. that will allow you to then sort of have a bit of a snowball effect is, is pretty important. The cards are critically important yes. to get scores. And there is a, a, a pretty sizable percentage of luck involved because you've got two main decks of cards in the base game. There is a third deck that you will um, potentially unlock during the story mode. You've got all the A cards, which they will you know, eight of those will be dealt out to each player. You've then got a massive deck of B cards. In each game, you will shuffle those and then get 40 of them. The rest of them go in the box and yeah. you'll shuffle up the remaining A cards with the B cards. So there's always going to be this randomization yeah. and the cards are always going to be crew and personnel. They're always people. 
So there's a lot of replayability, but you need to know how it works. So the first game will be long and it will be a learning process and you'll go, ah, oh, I didn't realise the importance of yeah. blah. Yeah. And that's why that second game, I think, will be a very different experience. Look, I was quite excited. I mean, when I started to prepare before last week's show a list of the games that we would be able to play at Essen Unplugged, this game was on the top of my list. Yeah. This was the first game I wanted to play. But part of that, I think, was when I, I read about it, it talks about a story that's going to unfold mm. and, in fact, that there's even a legacy way to play this. And anyone who's listened to this show over the last 12 months will know I've really taken a turn towards story-based games, narrative games, games that tell a story, and I was quite excited. What story would this game tell me about the Caribbean and what's happening there? And now that I've played it, even though we didn't see any of the story, I feel like it's going to be the story is... You take cube A to village B where you meet person C who tells you to go to D who then gives you E, you take it to F and that'll be G. I hope you're wrong. I do too. However, and this is something that, Mark, you should probably be saying instead of me, mm -hmm. there are quite a few different resource types that you'll go around delivering into the markets. <laughs> yes. And you'll, you'll have those pictured on every single card. Yep. And you'll have those on the city tile so that you can quite easily see, you know, what it is you've got to deliver. And you, you go, you oh, beat me that one, it, that's the one I've got to go and deliver. So yeah. I'll let you take the story home now. Yeah, so we we were looking at these little tiny little pictures on the, on the cards, on the city tiles of these four different resources. And, you know, yes, it's a Euro game. Yes, you've got different types of resources. And I said, oh, give me the rule book. I'm guessing th this resource is... Is it tobacco? Because it looks like brown leaves. And is that a cigar on the bottom? But it's really small, so I'm not so sure. Let me look in the rule book and see what the description of the four goods are. And I look through the rule book. All 24 pages, of, pages it. <laughs> of it. And it doesn't tell you. No. And maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe I didn't see that those things that, that Leon described as floppy bras with a leak sticking out of them, that they are, in fact, two piles of sugar and the leaks are, in fact, sugar canes. Yeah. Or that, well, corn is corn because corn looks like corn. Correct. The tobacco leaf, we started thinking it was something else at the start because it was just like a, a leaf. Yeah, it was just a brown blob, really. And I can't even remember what the fourth one is. Some other green leaf. Like it looked, it could have been marijuana for all no, I know. No, because was that's, one of, oh, the, that an that's item? one of the quest items, okay. which is like you're taking marijuana or books or telescopes. Yeah. But the point is, it's another example of this old style Euro game where it doesn't really matter what the things are because you're taking a thing to a person to get a thing to trade it for victory points. Correct. So look. Wow. We've, we've pretty much used up an episode on this. It is fair to say that the response from media point of view has been pretty underwhelming with Maracaibo. You you go into Board Game Geek and you go onto YouTube and type in Maracaibo Board Game. Yeah. There's not a huge amount there from either a how to play uh, or, in fact, reviews at all. So that's a very interesting situation to be yeah. in when we're only a couple of weeks um, from Essen yeah. having been and gone. This was one of the hottest games out there. And speaking to, to a great friend of the show, Richard, earlier today, 
when I told him we played it a couple of days ago, he, he said, I wanted to have a look at it, but I wasn't prepared to wait 90 minutes in the line. Yeah. So it doesn't matter whether it was a 90-minute wait or a half-an-hour wait. It was popular. People wanted to see this game and wanted to get their hands on it. And then it's it's been a bit crickets since then. Now, I like it. I will happily play it again as long as I'm playing with people who know what's going on. Yeah. But, yeah, this game, I don't know, is it going to be like Blackout Hong Kong that sort of came and went without really any any news? Well, uh, look, a few people are saying, oh, it's like Great, Great Western Trail but better. I totally disagree, but I'm not going to go on it about anymore because we've almost used up the whole show talking about this one game. Let's take a super quick break and come back and wrap things up with a few of the other games we're looking forward to playing. Okay, with the Dicemen Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Hello, everyone. It's Mark here, the eldest statesman of the Dicemen Cometh, just wanting to take a quick opportunity to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everyone that has been supporting us on Patreon recently. We've had a little bit of a jump in supporters, and we appreciate it so much. Every cent that you give us goes into getting us to board game conventions, things like BorderCon, PAX, Essen Unplugged, and even hopefully early next year, CanCon, where we can report back to you on what's happening. We'll have interviews with designers and artists and publishers and gamers as well, and you'll know what you're missing out on. We appreciate your support so much. Look, if you've been on the fence thinking about whether or not to support us, I say just jump in for as little as a dollar a month. You won't even notice it, but we certainly do because, unfortunately, airfares out of this little island where we live are pretty expensive. But, hey, enough of me. Let's get back to the action. Thank you again. Talk to you soon. Uh, with apologies to the Kaiser Chiefs there, that was Ruby on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. You are with the Dice Men Cometh, who, as usual, have talked and talked and talked about games, or, in fact, game in this case. So we just thought we'd better come back and refer to a few of these games that we will be playing at Essen Unplugged, Garth. In All the right, last... I'll, flip, I'll flip the egg timer. You've got five, five minutes. minutes. Okay. Go. So... It's a Wonderful World by Frédéric Girard, published by Le Bois de Joux. Um, in a Wonderful World, you're an expanding empire. You must choose your path to the future. You'll draft cards. You'll choose which ones to recycle. You gain resources. You build cards. Sounds fun. Sounds like your kind of game. Yeah. And let me. So these are games you're excited about for Essen or ones that we know are at Essen Unplugged these are, or both? These are both. These all, awesome. are all games okay. that... Um, Charles and the team have brought back from Essen. Another one, yep. the title alone, The Magnificent. It's described as a tightly designed Euro game by the creators of Santa Maria, set in a mystical world, beautifully illustrated by French artist Martin Motet, placing Tetris-style tiles on your playboard. Yeah. Sort All of these Euro like... games who've come back from Euro Essen. Well, it sounds like it's, you know, a magician-style game. You, you're drafting dice, you're doing some abilities, you want to perform on a show which gives you strength and makes your show more, more powerful. This one has been on the top of the Board Game Geek hotness list just recently. Um, another one that's been right up there is the one I can't pronounce, Garth. Yep. Trismegistus. Oh, Trismegistus. That's the one. Yeah. By Federico Pior Lorenzo and Daniela Tacchini, where it's about alchemy. You want to be a successor to the greatest alchemy ever lived. Which Alchemist. Was her, yeah, which was Hermes Trismegistus. Trismegistus. Yeah, him. From Teotihuacan. 
Is no. that where he's from? No. <laughs> okay. So it's all about alchemy and, and to again. surprise you in, in Eurogame, you're going to be turning things into victory points. But again, this is dice. So similar to the Magnificent, yes. dice will be rolled. They'll be the elements that you get to use, mm -hmm. how you use your dice and how you transmute them because you're basically trying to turn base things into gold and fulfil things. drafting. I know. Next. Um, Garth, I know you're ex excited about Cooper Island. I am. Where you're exploring a new home far away from your homeland, homeland colonise... There's that word again. Mm. Colonising the island by being friendly to the locals, hopefully. Absolutely. Building statues, getting stuff from the island to go... Oh, that sounds terrible. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure it's, I'm sure it's completely appropriate. But, yeah, I'm really curious about this. Uh, it's definitely one that I want to play when we're at Essen Unplugged. Mm -hmm. So people in Canberra, read the rule book, well, please. Look, this, is the one, this is one of the ones that Renee is excited about. It's called Team 3... And there's a pink version and a green version. Yes. Just because there's two different colours. Where three monkeys have started a construction company and the building blueprints are coming in quick. Now the monkeys have to work together to complete the blueprints before time runs out. Where each player takes in a role of one of the three monkeys. The monkey who can't speak, the monkey who can't see, or the monkey in the middle. Mm. The monkey who can't speak is the only one who can see the blueprint card. But they're not allowed to talk. They can communicate only in gestures. <laughs> the monkey in the middle must interpret the gestures who can't speak and relay them to the monkey who can't see because they're the one building the structure. How amazing. This sounds like... What's it called? Uh, Ugtech. Ugtech, yeah. So but look, fun. Well, I hope so because, I mean, clearly someone's going to see the blueprint. They're not going to be able to talk, so they have to gesture to the one person. That one person then has to try and articulate to the monkey that can't see. And the person who can't see, they've basically got these different coloured te tetra shapes. Yep. And they've got to try and, you know, feel them and make sure that that goes like that and that goes like that. So, yes, I'm sure it'll be fun. This it sounds like... There's teams of three, okay. but it only plays up to six players. So it's a maximum of 2v2 uh, two two by the okay. looks of it, unless you have more... It sounds like it's going to be the do-something porn times oh, 10. Oh, that'd be great. A couple of other quick ones. Ecos, the first continent by John D. Clare and AEG. Yep. Uh, silver and gold, distant islands with golden treasures. And La Stanza, where players take their role, the patrons of the arts, sponsoring the most brilliant creators of their time, podcasters and other such likes. <laughs> All of those sound fascinating, all sound very Euro-y, but they hey, do. they're coming back from Essen, so that makes sense. And I love that. So this time next week, Mark and I will be finishing up this show and then yes. almost jumping on a plane first thing tomorrow morning. So thank you very much for listening again. Thank you to LFG mm. for your sponsorship. We really appreciate We look forward to giving them a hug in person when we're in Canberra uh, next week. For anyone who is going to be there... Please reach out to us because we'd love to have a game. We'd love to say hello. It's always fun to go up and, and have a chat to anyone who bothers to listen to the show. This has been episode 280-something, 284. Woo. We're getting up there. We've been the Dice Men Cometh. I've been Garth. He's been Mark. And we're out of here now. Bye. Bye. This has been an edit of the Dice Men Cometh from Edge Radio 99.3 FM, Hobart's independent youth station. Find us on Facebook and edgeradio.org.au.